Welcome to the Earwig Review, Episode 5. September 25th. We got six posts starting all the way back September 18th. Something called the Termite's Elbow. A local hero. I'll never turn my back on snot. The crumbs remain. Car wash. And lastly, the FM dial. Start with the posts. We'll get into some readings afterward. And then we'll talk about the status of things. So... First off, let's get into the termite's elbow. I'm tempted to talk about how things went with the audiobook recording of Herman's Jail. I brought that up at the end of last week's episode. Let me get that off my chest now, talk about how it went. Because I've been looking forward to getting the chance or maybe I should say, to taking the time to talk about it today. So I read the whole thing, recorded it all, sans fan, thinking that was what would be necessary to do the whole book. And it sounded like this. So I just killed the fan. Hear that car? Some static in the mic. Strange ambient voices. Other stuff. Now, the fan is returned and it all goes away. So, a lot of what was going on when I was recording without the fan was waiting for planes or accepting that this part, whatever part I was reading of the story was gonna have a plane behind it. Sometimes my cat was in here licking his paws. You could hear it right in the mic. So I would have to stop five minutes, 10 minutes, let him do his thing. Many distractions that way. Getting a studio, doing this, you know, properly would be one thing. Could certainly go down that road. Maybe I will one day. Knowing more about the variables there. Because a week ago I'd never recorded an audio book before to that length. And now I have. I know some new things. So maybe one day getting a a studio, sound, actual soundproof place, don't have to worry about all those distractions, etc. But the next issue, the bigger issue, I think, is the skill set or ability to read a story at that length 
and and be and be a narrator and be a um you know an actor a voice actor now you've heard on the earwig review each week getting a bit better at doing the narrating and you can tell when it's working when it's not i'm sure it's it's clear but it's a different beast when you are reading an entire manuscript and you're not allowed you're not if you make a mistake if you read the sentence wrong you stop you got to rewind you got to do the track again you never listen to an audiobook where the narrator's going the the voice actor's going they say the wrong thing and then they go back they make it seem like they just sat down and read the whole thing in one sitting no mistakes perfect uh and that's obviously not the reality you do multiple takes got to cut it together you got to mix that audio together too which you got to imagine in my case not being in a studio and without my my greatest ally the fan beside me capturing all of that ambient noise now i got to go back and mix it all in together make it sound like it's natural which i haven't done any of that mixing yet but i think it was about 103 different tracks so i started and stopped 103 times through that that whole process it's a sh- it came just under 3 hours about 30,000 words it's a short book a novella at best as as i think you could categorize it a long short story it's a little long to be a, a short story but you know it's a small um piece of writing when you compare it to your average audiobook i'm sure which you'd probably find minimums even six hours is short and go up to 12 you know whatever everything between so it's a short project but those are some of the variables and what i might do i've been thinking about after that you know finish that on uh before the week ended and over over the weekend here having this idea that what might be interesting would be to read the whole book in the same way i do this podcast let myself make mistakes and basically edit as i go with it so it would be it would be an audiobook podcast reading hybrid it wouldn't be this pristine polished audiobook where it's just the text beginning to end what we're used to i would read and i would stop and i would give notes to myself i would maybe edit a few things here and there because even however many times i can edit that that piece i still probably found a lot of some spelling mistakes some grammatical mistakes um, and then little things I want to change here and there. And as you read it, you have a train of thought. And, you know, I had this whole thing of um, whenever there's dialogue at the end, the difference of, you know, said Herman or Herman said or 
having that at the beginning before they have the dialogue and all those different kind of forms. And I found the more I was reading it out loud in that form, the more I wanted to make it more uniform. Just pick said Herman or Herman said and make that uniform for the most part throughout the whole thing so that it kind of fades off and it doesn't become a part of the style of the writing and the aesthetic because that kind of mechanic is an odd thing to um, bring into the aesthetic of the whole style of the writing so I'd rather just streamline it see how that feels on this on that piece because it, there's no point in doing all these different versions of that I just want it to be more uniform throughout so it's a non-issue uh, and there's nothing to think about so little things like that that I'm thinking of as I am reading it might make for a better audiobook as a whole than just trying to get this super polished product that like um, is what it is do we need it to be the perfect audiobook or having me the writer of this right of this book go through it and basically give notes as I'm reading it and doing this last last it'll never be last but the this you know this revision this next revision of it and have that be the audiobook hopefully uh, wouldn't be too meta or you know uninteresting um so that's what i want to try i might try that next week um if i can figure out the schedule so reading the whole thing again with the fan on taking my time rereading sentences as you know i've been doing on this show for the most part anyway so you know maybe i'll do that anyway i was very excited to bring all that up um today so there there we go definitely one of the wonderful things about the internet as a whole is the amount of space you can take up if you so choose. This episode could go on for 10 hours. It doesn't matter. No one cares. I don't know where else you could really do that and create that amount of space for yourself without any repercussion or, you know, there's no effect to the outside world. It doesn't, no one cares. It doesn't matter. You can literally do a 50 hour podcast, put it online, zero people listen to it. It doesn't matter. No repercussion. So that's one thing I'm very much enjoying about these, um, these episodes. I'm starting to take that and apply it to this idea of recording an audiobook in a way that I think is might be more interesting than the voice acting because I don't I hate acting um I really I really loathe doing it I'm very bad at it 
Um, and I don't want to get good at acting. I'd rather uh, do things uh, in the way that is more fun. And so that's what I'm talking about. But good news is that I did the thing and, uh, and read through the book that I'd never, I think a week ago before I'd actually done it, I was scared to do it, nervous to do it. Um, didn't know if I could for some reason, or thought it would be, you know, this weird kind of self-indulgent exercise or whatever. Um, you know, just very in my head about it, not thinking I would maybe be allowed for some reason, you know, whatever kind of uh, creative kind of penalty box I was in for whatever reason. Um, but for years, I've thought about doing something like that. I can remember like in something like 2007 being like, oh, I should do an audiobook of one of my stories but just never, never doing it. Thinking, oh, I should get a, an actor to do it, or this story's not ready yet, or, uh, you know, on and on and on and on. So I did it. That's good. Should be happy. Um, and now I can tweak and make it something good. Something more interesting. Um, so we'll see what happens next week. Anyway, let's get to the posts. The Termite Salvo from September 18th, the first post of last week. The Termite Salvo has shocked many of us to this day. Some people thought it was a piece of dead skin. Others didn't think it was anything. And others were in complete denial that anything was going on. The Termite had bit into a power line and had electricity running between its teeth endlessly. The smell of a squid tentacle wafted into a cup of water that was filtered from the ocean. The map was made by a guy with a paint roller in a field and a wagon full of yellow. I hope that everything will end up okay and that my behavior does not piss off the people in my life to such an extent that they will never speak to me again. I hope to make the right decisions so that we do not grow apart in the end. Somehow, it seems that the choice has already been written in stone and that it isn't anyone's to make because generally speaking, people are stubborn assholes that goes for me, and it goes for you. And it goes for the guy with the paint roller in the field, and all of those people that were shocked by the termite's elbow. Okay, let's figure this out. First off, the... Where's that line? It goes... I hope that everything will end up okay and that my behavior does not piss off the people in my life to such an extent that they will never speak to me again. <laughs> I hope to make the right decisions so that we do not grow apart in the end. Somehow it seems that the choice has already been written in stone and that it isn't anyone's to make. Because generally speaking, people are stubborn assholes that goes for me and for you. 
And it goes for the guy with the paint roller in the field and all the people that were shocked by the tournament's elbow. So that's where that's what this is. Um, and I think that ends up being the theme of the week. So we'll probably, we'll, we'll see if it rings true, but I'm, as I remember, or as I think, that's the, that's what we're talking about this week. Kind of latched onto that. Um, very kind of prominent feeling um, that I don't know I be, I, ha, I don't know if people relate to that or if that's more of a specifically a me thing but I can remember feeling that way for a long time in some form it splits off when I was a younger younger I'd you know, I don't know if it was quite there. I think I needed a bit of, um, needs to develop a bit of a pattern of having falling outs with people and having relationships start and end and, you know, starting to see how, how it all went. Um, and, uh, I think for, you know, for a long time, you think that things will be okay with people. You assume that that's the case. But eventually, that stops being the case, and you f- and you grow apart, or you piss people off, and they, and and they never want to talk again, or or vice versa. It works both ends. Um, and you have to ask yourself: Is there is there a way to always reconcile these things? Or are there good choices and bad choices? Or is it random? Or do you not really have a choice at all? Because sometimes it does feel that way with people where you look back, you don't know what other choice you could have made or even understand why things broke off the way they did. So it doesn't necessarily feel like it was about your choices. Maybe it's something on their end or your end that you're unaware of. Um... And uh, and you grow apart, and there's no reconciling, and years pass, and then they die, and then that's what happened. Um, so it feels like the fate of things at times. Not always, obviously, but it stays with you. And it may happen again with certain people. It may not. You don't know. Um... So that's, I feel like that was the, uh, you know, the missile was shot and that's where it kind of landed on this one. I think this is a good example of, okay, you sit down, do your writing. And what, what comes out? The termite's elbow has shocked many of us to this day. Okay. Some people thought it was a piece of dead skin. Others didn't think it was anything. And others were in complete denial that anything was going on. So those two phrases right there. The termite's elbow has shocked many of us to this day. Some people thought it was a a piece of dead skin. 
and others didn't think it was anything, and others were in complete denial that anything was going on. I think it's great. I'm very happy with that. It is exactly what it says it is. Um, I think that's fun. And it means what it means. There's no explaining that. It's just the news of the moment here. Where come where the impulse to write something of that nature comes from, uh, I don't know. I do not know. The termite had bitten to a power line and had electricity running between its teeth endlessly. Great. The smell of a squid tentacle wafted into a cup of water that was filtered from the ocean. So we gone totally somewhere else at this part start you know okay we're talking about this termite people are very shocked by this termite elbow thing that they're seeing different reactions and we see that okay the termite was electrocuted and you know its elbow fell off is what was what we're hearing um and it's just getting zapped there on the line great image um you know imagining the termite just its teeth just coming out and grabbing onto the line the electricity you know just zapping it endlessly to know you know on and on and then now there's a split the smell of a squid tentacle wafted into a cup of water that was filtered from the ocean the map was made by a guy with a paint roller in a field and a wagon full of yellow. We're just drawing pictures at this point. We got our termite. We've got the squid tentacle smell in the water. Even though it was filtered. And then we have this map, the map no real sense of uh, what that map was made by a guy with a paint roller in a field and he had a wagon full of yellow so he has a wagon full of yellow paint and he's drawing out the borders of a map presumably in the field and um, that's, the, that's the situation and then we go internal so it's like you gotta write these we got these five different ideas and then you and then it hits on to it unlocks something and you hit onto some kind of deeper theme that has some basis in you know a reality we can understand and then at the end you know we get to all this uh you know very serious business about relationships and all of that ending and it goes for the guy with the paint roller in the field and those people that were shocked by the termites elbow so maybe what i'm seeing is this is a kind of the the setup this is everyone in this environment this is what this world is is made up of um that's what we're dealing with here and that starts to make a bit more sense I feel like I uh, I understand that a bit more. And maybe... 
it's it's almost like the tone of the world that you feel like these feelings maybe were where they came from um thinking of being who your friends were and how they kind of felt to have those friends in the world termites getting electrocuted people not knowing what to think about who you were and who the people you associated yourself with were this you know this cup of water this filtered cup of water that still happens to smell like a squid tentacle there's no kind of you know getting rid of the the critter smell from from that water um and then this guy making up just painting in this field making this map so the more i'm kind of sitting and going over that i'm like okay that feels like in a in a specific way there's kind of like expressions of a friend group of you know who was there at, a, at when I was younger um, and then how that kind of broke apart and I think that's you know what happens when you leave the city you're from everyone you take different paths obviously and you start growing apart from people it's kind of that that base kind of the friends you made in school the the default friends you had in the beginning and then it, and it breaks off and you know for other people um they live different lives but this when i, when I look at these things about the termites and the squids and the wagons it feels somehow like okay i get it that's i'm not talking about my family i'm not talking about romantic relationships i'm talking about me and kind of the shit eating adventures i had um as a young person teenager and beyond um with people and uh that's it that's the termites elbow Local Hero, September 19th. Let's see. This one guy I know has a pet glue trap. And one day, he accidentally dropped it into a bowl of ramen. He was at the buffet and feeling depressed. Looking at the potatoes under the heat lamp and the squid muffins on the tray. His manhood was extended to such a degree that he had to tie it around his waist like a belt or else he would step on it, or get it stuck on his pet glue trap, or dipped in his bowl of ramen. He felt ashamed of himself most of the time, but he felt better when he was at the buffet. That's why he was there so often. This all might sound quite familiar. He was in the papers last week. A rattlesnake got into the buffet and started attacking everyone. Everyone was panicking, but the guy knew what to do. He undid his belt and fought the rattlesnake to death. He saved everyone at the buffet, and now 
He is a local hero of our neighborhood. I still don't know what to make of his pet glue trap, but I'm glad he saved the day that day at the buffet. Um, I really felt like uh, at the end doing that rhyme scheme I was um, trolling my future self knowing that um, you know I would have to rhyme which I hate doing um, but I couldn't resist it was so stupid I'm glad that he saved the day that day at the buffet super annoying to me um but but you know there you go okay more straightforward what's going on but um in context to the last post i think this one uh this is making sense this reminds me of and i don't know if this would necessarily translate directly but um going to the um sometimes i'd go to the hockey game with my dad and we'd go to there's a buffet near there we'd go you know they'd be cutting a roast beef and they had kind of mashed potatoes under the light and all this fun stuff it's very exciting and uh and it was when I was at that same age that I was talking about um, in the last one, the termite's elbow, this certain section of youth. And in my world, this, those were kind of, um, no matter what was going on at school or what age I was at or whatever the variables were, We'd go, we'd go to this, we went to this restaurant for, uh, you know, for years. It's, I'm sure it's still there. And it was one of those kind of go, sometimes you go to these restaurant and just check in and all the kind of bullshit of your life becomes irrelevant. And you check in with, with, um, you know, with what's going on and all time stops for some reason. And I feel like that's, that's what this reminds me of is there any indication of that inside of this writing not that I can see but that's okay um, yeah but that's really uh, I can see that here so this one guy I know had a pet glue trap and one day he accidentally dropped it into a bowl of ramen already you know the, the pet glue trap i remember getting those for the first time not understanding what they really were we just had mice in our apartment traps were traps they did what they did and then you know you go to the hardware store and okay what's that one didn't like we just bought the things they had on the shelf glue trap that'll okay let's try that and then next thing you know you get all these baby mice stuck on this glue trap trying to eat their limbs off to escape. Just, just you know, it's torturous. Not like, you know, having a kind of metal wire come and snap your neck 
isn't, you know, its own death, but it, it's quick. Whatever. Hopefully. Uh, but they're being tortured, right? They're not good. We don't like it. So, this one guy I know has a pet glue trap. Great. And one day, he accidentally dropped it into a bowl of ramen. I was imagining the this guy with the pet glue trap taking the glue trap out on a walk with a leash down the street and all the kind of just, you know, if you had a pet glue trap and you're trying to take care of a glue trap, it couldn't lose its stickiness. You'd have to maintain its stickiness. That's what makes it a glue trap. Kind of a dull glue trap. Because then it's it's dead. It doesn't, you know, it's how you keep it alive. You got to keep its stickiness. But you still would have to take it out, right? Take it on a walk. Take it down the street. A lot of responsibility. And one day, he accidentally dropped it into a bowl of ramen. It's not good. The idea of dropping a glue trap into a bowl of ramen the the texture of the stickiness of the trap and the hot oily soup and the noodles and whatever else you got in there it's uh it's great a lot of contrasting forces at play he was at the buffet and was feeling depressed all right Looking at the potatoes under the heat lamp and the squid muffins on the tray. We had a squid in the last one. We have a squid now. It's one of those words that's always just kind of looping in my head. And so is muffin. Squid and muffin. There's, a, there's many others and they kind of come and go. I don't know how, you know, ordinary this is. People have certain if you have certain words that cycle through your head all the time sometimes they're like there's a lot of profanity that gets is always stuck in my head that you know just kind of there stuff you don't want to say out loud or weird weird words that don't really have a place and they just kind of cycle in your in your mind for years so you know when i see those words come up I often try to dodge them when I'm writing stuff like this because it's almost like um, it's almost like you feel ashamed of how obs weirdly obsessed you are with, uh, with those words. I remember the, noticing it for the first time. I was very young. Um, and I was sitting at the staircase and thinking of the word hot dog like over and over and over again and I, and at some point it just lost all meaning um and i was felt so kind of like almost fascinated by what had happened in that moment of like the repetition and the loss of its of what it was and how it kind of took on this new kind of form and i was like it was almost like I've been chasing the high ever since then. 
Um, and here we are. His manhood was extended to such a degree that he had to tie it around his waist like a belt. Or else he would step on it. Or get it stuck on his pet glue trap. Or dipped in his bowl of ramen. What can I say about that, that it isn't saying for itself? He felt ashamed of himself most of the time, but he felt better when he was at the buffet. That's why he was there so often. This all might sound quite familiar. He was in the papers last week. A rattlesnake got into the buffet and started attacking everyone. Everyone was panicking, but the guy knew what to do. He undid his belt and fought the rattlesnake to, to the death. He saved everyone at the buffet, and now he is a local hero in a, of our neighborhood. I still don't know what to make of his pet glue trap, but I'm glad that he saved the day that day at the buffet. So, thinking about all of this context that I've kind of given here, and then we get to this point of we have this guy that I know who has the pet glue trap and his manhood was extended to such a degree that he had to tie it around his waist like a belt but he, and he feels shame over it so he feels ashamed of his the, how different he is he has such an asset that um, he can't he doesn't even he doesn't know what to do with and he feels ashamed by it it's this insane handicap that he has in the world he's a circus freak and he's at the buffet presumably eating his feelings with his pet glue trap and he fights this rattlesnake the rattlesnake comes in and he saves the day he becomes the hero I think about those times in my life. I've, I've been a big comic book reader since I was young. Um, and I think when you're, when you're young, age 10, 11, 12, those kind of almost fantasies of being able to save the day in some kind of, uh, you know, way that that has something to do with your world um you know that's there so this guy you know he's been a nerd all his life he's it's a typical hero story he has this special ability that he doesn't know how to do with and he's having this you know he's his flaw he has this character flaw where he's at the buffet all the time eating all his feelings, being depressed, and he, he gets his opportunity to be a hero and he takes it and he fights the rattlesnake and saves everyone. Very good. A local hero. I don't hate it. 
I will never turn my back on snot. September 20th. Alright. Snot is awesome. Especially when it goes inside of an electrical outlet. It's something that happened often in the house I grew up in. There were snot fires in the walls. I remember when we got our internet hooked up for the first time. There was snot in our modem. And it made our internet incredibly fast. Nowadays, when our internet isn't working well, I I try snotting it out. But it doesn't really work with today's technology. Nowadays, there are a lot of people logged into the internet, and hardly any of them care about snot. But I've never forgotten about it. Even in the face of disaster, of drought, of famine, of tyranny, and of pests, I'll never turn my back on snot. It's who I am. It's home. So, clearly, and these are written a day apart, and it's not like I go back and read the one from the day before in order to get the gears going for the next one. I was talking about this last week. These things have a way of sorting themselves out. And this one, is it's incredibly clear that I'm thinking of being young in this week. It's not as awesome, especially when it goes inside of an electrical outlet. It's something that happened often in the house I grew up in. There we are. I was going off on some tangent about the... The hot dog at the, in the stairs. And... that the old house I lived in and then the next day it's um, it's come back again so something to that I remember when we got our internet hooked up for the first time there was snot in our modem and it made our internet incredibly fast nowadays when our internet isn't working well I try snotting it out but it doesn't really work with today's technology nowadays, there are a lot of people logged into the internet and hardly any of them care about snot. But I've never forgotten about it. So, I don't think it's an incredibly complicated post here. A lot of what we're talking about has to do with remembering where you come from, remembering how you felt when you were young, what the world was like then, and not losing sight of it, for better or for worse. I don't know. It seems like you'll hear people celebrate that a lot. People that are connected to their child's point of view, right? And then you'll hear the... When you lose sight of that, and and that's when things start getting dark and people start selling out and making um, the wrong choices in life okay fine to an extent we should also celebrate growing up letting go of of um, you know all of the inexperience that you had at that time 
some of it pure and and good and inspired and creative but other parts about being a child and being young are not good and i feel like that gets lost in those kind of motivational um critical and motivational kind of um talks if you know what i'm saying to move on to let the, all of your childhood go to basically accept and reconcile it to an extent that you're not looping back to it may be a good thing. On the other hand, having, does it, when we're talking about creativity, a lot of the time, you know, it's very celebrated to have that childlike kind of impulse of uh, freedom and creativity fine it's associated with childhood and then i think there's this kind of this popular idea that you get older and it gets bogged down by the responsibilities of life etc and then you can't access it anymore it's you know the peter pan story or whatever but i think that that's bullshit not you know not peter pan's bullshit it's great but obviously not that i'm the uh you know the one who's going around deciding if Peter Pan is great or not. Not my, uh, not my business, not my call. Um, no one needs me to explain that one. But that idea that's in our culture that people think that, you know, you get lost and you lose sight of it and the world does that to you, etc. I just think is... I just don't think it's that's how it works, and that and that it's true. Um, I think the 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 childlike impulse of the creative person, I don't think has anything to do with childhood. I think you can very much keep that through your adult life. Uh, it's not that's not difficult to do, and it's not the the world didn't take it from you, um, and. You just it's there and if you want to access it it's there it never went anywhere it's not hard to get to um, if you can't do it then then just do it it's there it's nothing to think about but you get these bigger conversations where it seems to be a, uh, a point of discussion that I, I think is just kind of nonsense I don't, it just doesn't make sense how does that pertain to what we're talking about? I think that there's an insecurity that that I have, and maybe this is uh, I'm going to a total spiral of hypocrisy, but maybe you know, I having written so many pieces like this and continuing to write. I develop a, a, a long-term insecurity of never growing up because a story like this, let me refresh your memory, snot is awesome, especially when it goes inside of an electrical outlet. When, you, when you're writing that and you're reading it, and you're trying to analyze it in some 
interesting way and taking it seriously there's also a flip side to it where you might have an insecurity about what you're doing with your time but I'll never stop I don't think and and I think that's what this is saying I think that's what this particular post is about let me read it again and you'll see what I mean it's not as awesome especially when it goes inside of an electrical outlet it's something that happened often in the house I grew up in there were snot fires in the walls I remember when we got our internet hooked up for the first time there was snot in our modem <laughs> I don't remember putting snot into an electrical outlet when I was young but I wish that I had and I don't know if, if you did but I hope that you had as well <laughs> and, and if you do that in the future you can do that as an adult and and um, you can just be dumb and, and you can own that and say that you knew of the hazard or the idiocy of your decision but you did it anyway when you're a kid you can claim you didn't know any better and you probably did know better maybe you didn't but when you're but that's what I'm trying to say is that what are we celebrating when we're talking about accessing this certain side of ourselves and talking about creativity when you're just an open faucet with the with what's coming into your creative mind and you're trying to be honest about what's what goes on inside of your head the things that you the things you think are important and are funny in your own vacuum and uh you know you're in this territory that I'm that I'm in here so you see what I'm saying I remember when we got our internet hooked up for the first time there was snot in our modem and it made our internet incredibly fast nowadays when our internet isn't working well I try snotting it out, but it doesn't really work with today's technology. Nowadays, there are a lot of people logged into the internet, and hardly any of them care about snot, but I've never forgotten it. Even in the face of disaster, of drought, of famine, of tyranny, and of pests, I'll never turn my back on snot. It's who I am. It's home. Do I understand what I'm talking about now? Yes. I'm talking about writing. And being stubborn and still writing even when it's not necessarily the grown-up responsible decision to spend all of your time writing stories like this writing novels that you know may never see the light of day and uh, you know it is what it is I'll never turn my back on snot September 21st the crumbs remain 
Sometimes I forget to write people back with a text message. Sometimes I don't know what to say, so I wait a couple of days. I hope they don't think that I don't care or that I forgot. Sometimes there are crumbs on my desk. The crumbs remain, and I leave them there for a few days because I like them for some reason. Like an unanswered text message from a friend, I know I should write back, but I like leaving it there. I'm not sure how to explain that within the context of it all. I hope I don't piss anyone off for the most part, and that I don't end up leaving any more friendships in the dust. But sometimes it happens, and there isn't anything to do about it. And you have to crunch some toast around and scatter some new crumbs. Returning to a similar theme that we've been dealing with this week. Um, when I was reading, sometimes when you read out loud, you really are locked into what you're saying. And other times your, your thoughts wander. And you're still reading at a decent pace, but... You start thinking about something else. And what I've been thinking about as I've been doing today's episode is I feel like the intro to this episode I wasn't good. I don't know where I started, but it's hard to warm up. You know, it's a bit... Um, now we're doing good. I feel like we're moving. I'm, I'm all right. But in the beginning, it's it's always kind of you know, rusty and kind of starting the ignition. So I'm feeling a certain. Did I fuck up the beginning? Did I should I go back and. Delete it and make a new intro and try to edit it. And it's like no no no. That's never. There's one thing I'll never do, with this. Podcast, is edit. <laughs> or else it totally loses its steam and that's what I was that's what I learned from doing the um the audiobook this week is that the um is the doing the podcast without editing as one long thing it just builds a sense of stakes that I think is you can't it's more interesting, more fun, and scarier than doing than trying to make it perfect. I just don't know if that is what anyone needs from me. I f- think I've spent enough years trying to uh, create things that I deem as perfect, and seeing that it doesn't necessarily um, it's not necessarily the way to go all the time the the fiction writing something like Herman's Jail the story I keep talking about today that is on the website www.joshuahillelbarski.com Herman's Jail. That's the it's the first story after these posts and after the podcast stuff on the website. There you can see it. Um, 
that's what I've been turning into an audio book and uh, you know figuring out how to move forward with it so I'm not going to go back and change the beginning but I'm acknowledging now that I feel like it wasn't great but that's okay Let's get back to the crumbs. The crumbs remain. Sometimes I forget to write people back with a text message. So I've gotten worse and worse at this. I don't know. I used to be very good. Get a message right back right away. Never thought twice about it. I was. I almost felt like I wrote back too fast for some people. It's almost a point of integrity of uh, not leaving people hanging and just getting it over with. But it's too demanding can't every time you get a text drop what you're doing especially when you're trying to focus on writing and you have your phone and you know text 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 it can really fuck your whole day um so you got to keep that under control and i've gotten better at pushing it away i also have less friends now not necessarily because I didn't answer their text messages in due time, but, um, you know, it's, a, it's another kind of facet of what we've been talking about is when you're young, at least for me, I have, you had a lot more friends, just no more people. You're constantly surrounded by them, constantly seeing them, all this kind of stuff. As I've gotten older, it's less. It just is. I think that's common. Um, um, for better or for worse, I think I wanted to know less people. I think there it took a lot of my time when I was young. I felt very distracted and needing to kind of please a lot of people and upkeep a lot of relationships just because. But, you know, meanwhile, wanting to go home and write and be alone because you've got to be alone to write. So balancing those two things. So, you know, it's almost like on one hand, you lose a lot of friendships and you're trying to understand how or why that happened. And uh, if you think about the your chosen, you know, to choose to continue to write, it's hard to also upkeep a lot of relationships when you need to be alone so often. Two go hand in hand. It's a lot of stereotypes there. No need to uh, explain that too much. But I think experiencing the reality of that, pushing people away in order to make space for myself to write these long kind of things, how the two kind of end up relating. Not to say that you need to be alone to write, but or alone not to not. You need to be alone to write, but that you aren't able to upkeep a flourishing social life when you want to write. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that do that. Um, but you know the stereotype I'm talking about where that is not the case. And in fact, it's the opposite. Sometimes I forget to write people back with a text message. Sometimes I don't know what to say. So I wait a couple of days. So sometimes the texts that I like getting, the emails I like getting... I actually don't, I, res I savor them in a way. So and that, that's what I'm trying to say here. I notice you feel pressure to answer the stuff 
that you don't want to deal with first. At least I do. It's like, okay, let's get this. Let's move on past these ones. These breed just conflict to me. And then I'll get to the ones that I actually want to focus on when I have time later to get a good email from a friend. And I leave it for like two days because I want to focus on it and actually write back thoughtfully. But then I'm real when that happens, same with text, you start to worry that uh, they think you're leaving them hanging. And in fact, it's the opposite. But, you know, hard to translate that unless they write you and you say, hey, you know, you could write, I'm so happy I got a message from you. I'm not even going to answer it for two days until I have time to answer it. So now you've just sent another message, you know, as far as the flows of conversation are concerned, it's, uh, it's a bit silly, but you know, I hope they don't think that I don't care. I hope they don't think, I hope they think, I hope they don't think that I don't care. Fine. That's that double negative is fine. Or that I forgot. Sometimes there are crumbs on my desk. The crumbs remain. And I leave them there for a few days because I like them for some reason. And that's true. Sometimes with coffee grounds, they're, they just kind of are there. And I like them there because I like the coffee. It's like a weird hoarder kind of impulse. Or, you know... I'll see like a single, like a cat hair on my desk. And I'm just like, oh, I like that cat hair because I like my cat. Um, or there was like some crumbs from a meal and you just kind of leave them for a couple days. days. Uh, that's how sentimental I can be, apparently. And I leave them there for a few days because I like them for some reason. Like an unanswered text message from a friend. I know I should write back, but I like leaving it there. I'm not sure how to explain that within the context of it all. I hope I don't piss anyone off for the most part. And that I don't end up leaving any more friendships in the dust. So this is the same kind of pattern as that. I think it was the first post we read today. Um, you know, just kind of on one hand here, we're talking about crumbs. And another hand, we're talking about a very kind of direct sensible kind of insecurity or inner kind of thought that you've latched onto that you're trying to uh basically trying to fish out and and uh you know cook and so i think what i've been doing more so lately is when i notice the starting with the points of absurdity and imagination working through a bit of that and then when the clear when the clarity comes that those thoughts are tamping down try to be clear about them which i think in the past i've just i really wouldn't have done that i think you can get the um sometimes you have these abstract thoughts and then you only try to go more abstract in hope that all that abstraction will represent the 
idea as a whole and you don't have to say it because saying it directly would kill it. And it's that thing of, you know, when you're writing a log line or a synopsis and, it, and you know, if you could take in a hundred page screenplay and say it in a one sentence log line or summary, what would be the point of the writing the 100 page screenplay? And you're worried that it, it's not saying what well, doesn't, it, you can't possibly have the nuance there in being direct that the art side of things would um, be able to represent. So you don't do it and, you, and you're scared of the truth of it because maybe there is no real idea there or maybe, you know, it was just a weird sketch and you don't want to talk about it, but that was never, I'm very much wanting to um, be in both of those territories at once. Um, I don't want to lose, I think, I don't want to lose sight of either of them both super important I don't want to go too far into either end I'm, I don't like either end as a whole entirely going too abstract um, you know meaningless but being too literal is I'm, I don't um, have uh, A I don't have the intelligence and I believe not as not to be self-deprecating I think I've probably talked about that before, but um, I truly don't think I have the intelligence to write, uh, to be a journalist, to write so literally. Um, it's just not, it's not there because as soon as I, if I try to do something like that and I don't have the ability or space to kind of drift into something more imaginative then I'm not I don't have the ability to um, express myself or complete the task of saying what needs to be said without the use of abstract and absurd metaphor and I think that's what a lot of this week's posts are about is trying to except that um, that you need to remain an idiot in order to and by idiot I mean an, um, a young person you know um, or you need to remain uh, someone who doesn't make sense or is writing things that are purposeless um, in the world in comparison to, you know, the more obvious useful things, um, and all of the kind of neuroses that surrounds all of that, that can be crippling. And I think for years of my life has been, um, with all the stuff. So nothing new, but um, big part of it. I'm not sure how to explain that within the, the context of it all. I think I just did. Um, I hope I don't piss anyone off for the most part. 
and I don't end up leaving any more friendships in the dust. But sometimes it happens, and there isn't anything to do about it. And you have to crunch some toast around and scatter some new crumbs. And that's the thing. You lose friendships, you go make new ones. You know? And it'll never... That won't ever go away, even though sometimes I think it feels like it may. Like, you know, if, ev if all of your friends, everyone you knew, turned on you tomorrow, you'd be devastated. But within a year's time, you may have an entirely new community. And I'm not saying go ahead and lose all your friendships and your family. That's never going to be an easy thing. You should never do that. But worst case scenario, figure it out. Crunch the toast around and scatter some new crumbs. Okay, September 22, car wash. We ate a chocolate bar in the car wash. I got it on sale at the grocery store. It was ordinary and went well. It was nighttime when we got out of the car so we couldn't see how good of a job it did, but it seemed shinier than usual. Maybe it was just the moon and the street light. I hope it doesn't look so good that we get robbed. Tomorrow in the day, I will go check it out. I will see about that bit of rust. I will see about that goo above the headlight. The truth is, I don't mind a few imperfections. In fact, I'd prefer a few because like I said, if it looks too good, we'll probably get robbed. And my mother-in-law's dog blanket is in the back seat. And I think my good screwdriver is in the trunk. I'd hate to lose all that stuff. That would be a piss off. Last week, well, on episode four, two weeks ago, I think the same pattern ha came up where I wrote the first four posts were much more abstract and then the last two this is the second last one of today became really blatantly clear so much so that all of that stuff that I was just talking about needing that metaphor it goes out the window and this one very straightforward literally talking about what happened and there's nothing to to really decode in the writing. And it's not necessarily as fun to break down and to read. So I suppose the side of me that worries about the technical use of this kind of writing, of, of abstract writing, things that don't make sense. Maybe, maybe that's it, is that it becomes interesting. And what it means to be interesting is that there's something to decode and there's something that is 
charting some new territory that can't be taken at face value that our ordinary language and vernacular can't doesn't have the tools to say and that is fun because it is new and if it's good it's also authentic and it's also there's also truth to it if it's bad then it's just bullshit and it's just word salad and garbage so it's got to be that mix of both now that isn't to say that there isn't something here and these aren't important things to write as well but there's a split between the two and there's something I think about writing these banal, more banal posts that is calming in the moment um, and it is what it is it's mundane I just hope it's not mundane for the sake of being mundane and and it's you know it's also the case that well there's not the stakes of this particular post are that um, we wash the car and maybe it looks so good that it's going to get robbed there's no real stakes it even goes on to say that the only that's the joke of it all is that there's a dog blanket and a screwdriver <laughs> that uh, that would get lost if uh, if we did so if it did get stolen, which we know it won't. We know it's not going to get stolen. So there's, you know, it's kind of, it's missing something that way. Here's the other thing. There's a we inside of this post. We at a chocolate bar in the car wash. It's talking about me and my wife in the car wash. The other posts I'm talking about, I'm way deep in my own mind. It's a, it has to be singular. You know, and then there's a different perspective that comes on when you're talking about yourself in a being in a couple or in a group or something, and uh, and it feels different. It's harder to kind of get um, it's harder to, to talk more to such a level. I guess with that. We had a chocolate bar in the car wash. I got it on sale at the grocery store. So what I'm not saying is like getting, you know, the um, the the dare I say, you know, attempted romantic gesture of knowing I was going to go pick up my wife and we were going to go into the car wash and so I got a chocolate bar you know to give us something to do and to try to make her happy and be a good husband buy her wife a fucking chocolate bar every once in a while and you have to sit in the car wash and do nothing um so and yes I got it on sale but she's not going to be happy unless I bought it on sale 
and nor will I. It was ordinary and went well, the next line. <laughs> so I think there's the, uh, this might be the actor side of me, the side that's, um, you know, writing about real love feelings and relationship stuff is something that definitely is not my, uh, you know, something I've shied away from. Not really what I sit down to, to write, but it's a part of life, and maybe I should uh, return to that. I think I used to write that when I was a lot younger. Really leave that behind, because, you know, come on. And now here I am, totally shut off. <laughs> we ate a chocolate bar in the car wash. I'd got it on sale at the grocery store. It was ordinary and went well. Really what I'm trying to... That's my today's version of writing, you know, the most romantic thing possible. <laughs> it was ordinary and went well. It was nighttime when we got out of the car, so we couldn't see how good of a job it did. But if you th think about what was really going on is, you know, we were actually, it's very fun to do ordinary things as a couple. And, you know, we're like, oh, wow, it's the car is so shiny and nice because, you know, we go to the car wash never. And this was a big, uh, big night out. It seemed shinier than usual. Maybe it was just the moon and the street light. I hope it doesn't look so good that we get robbed. So I think what's going on here is that I'm neglecting to write the truth of what this is. Not even writing my wife. Anything is we. Who's we? Maybe it doesn't look so good. I hope it doesn't look so good that we get robbed. So I'm, and now I'm being like, let's write about... Uh, let's make this talk about getting robbed and, you know, suddenly we're moving into the the action genre in the context of this. Tomorrow in the day, I will go check it out. I will see about that bit of rust. So I'll see how much it actually took off the goo above the headlamp. I don't mind a few imperfections. In fact, I pref prefer a few because like I said, it looks too good. We'll probably get robbed. And my mother-in-law's dog blanket and my screwdriver will get stolen and that would suck. So what this is, I see this as a totally fine post, sure, but if I had to give myself a note, it would be uh, write the truth about what you're actually talking about and, you know, don't be a pussy. The FM dial, September 23rd. Oh, yeah, okay. The FM dial. The iguanosphere had no bearing on my consciousness until I considered it this afternoon. I suppose I have begun to wonder about the virtue of the pathetic hero who does nothing to redeem themselves. I was never very good at anything in the first place. There is no function of that hero. When one mouse is caught, the next arrives looking identical. When they enter the iguanosphere, their stubbornness clouds their logic to such an extent that they die eating peanut butter. 
I know there's more to say about it, but that is all I need to talk about for my purposes in this moment. As well, I must say that I have a song stuck in my head and the words are mixed up. It says, and in another year, some things will disappear and I will see you in a while, crocodile. Perhaps you might recognize it from the FM dial. Perhaps you won't. Either way, it's fine. All right. Um, where, where are we going here? So, the guanosphere had no bearing on my consciousness until I considered it this afternoon. Okay. What is the iguanosphere? It's a word that's funny. Iguana, the lizard, sphere, the iguanosphere. It's probably some, you know, massive dome with a bunch of uh, lizards in it. I suppose I've begun to wonder about the virtue of the pathetic hero. So this is coming from the new story that I'm writing that I got to spend quite a bit of time on this week. I'm very, um, very happy about that time I got to spend with that story. And it's coming along. It really is. I'm, I'm quite happy with where it's at right now. It's, it's starting to kind of build the momentum that, um, you know, that starts to be really, really enjoyable to work on. Enjoyable is not the right word. You probably heard me hesitate there. But, you know, complex and interesting, I suppose. Inside of that story, I've begun to wonder about the virtue of the pathetic hero. So I have a habit of writing about these main characters who are pathetic, who are generally pieces of shit, or who are complete amateurs and um, no special skill set and they kind of by the end of the story often just make their lives worse or face some reality that you know what they knew about the world was wrong so it's like a pathetic hero that ends up either um, failing more or accepting that what they wanted was not going to happen and they were in fact what they believed a pathetic hero these are not inspiring stories um but some for some reason it's where I, my interest is gone so i've begun to wonder and, and I suppose this is, you know, this idea of the iguanosphere. This is the similar to, I don't remember which one that was, but the termite's elbows, the termite's elbow, where we're setting this kind of, this scene. And in this one, it's a world full of lizards. And I suppose if I'm honest, that does totally kind of feel like the world of the new story. Um, it's kind of this cold, like, dome of uh of a world that almost feels like the weather that they're in it's always like kind of the 
feels like there's a glass case over everything. And uh, there's no warmth to it at all. It's just like, you know, lizard-like. So it's the iguanosphere. It had no bearing on my conscience until I considered it this afternoon. And what I mean by that is I'm working on this writing of this story. I suppose I've begun to wonder about the virtue of the pathetic hero. And so I think I hit a bit of a wall with it and I'm like, I'm writing again about this. Um, who's going to want to read about such a pathetic loser, essentially? It's not, you know, anything uh, redeemable even. The virtue of the pathetic hero, who does nothing to redeem themselves and was never very good at anything in the first place. There is no function of that hero. So how, you can't call someone a hero when they lose and that they never really tried. So it's, you know, this existential kind of nonsense. But also, you know, these are often things I like reading and watching movies about and listening to music that all kind of fits into this world. So, I, you know, I'm being very hard on myself and wondering about it, but the truth is, this is, it is an interest. Uh, I shouldn't be so kind of self-loathing about, about that. It says there is no function of that hero. And I think I meant that at the, when I wrote it, but I'm looking at it now and you know, it isn't true. It just isn't because I, I'm too interested in um, these kind of characters for the not to be a function of it. I think what gets tied up is I think of my career as a writer and think that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that if I write about people who suck and who never succeed, then my life will be about someone who sucks and will never succeed. If you went back and wrote about someone who was at a certain place and overcame obstacles and became better and kind of trained that mode of thinking more so would your life then follow suit? Or are you keeping yourself, are you, is it an expression of you holding yourself back and not having any confidence and being too full of insecurity? And, ex and that's what you're expressing. And it gets tied up with how you feel about the actual work itself. And it's kind of this weird circly knot. And then, you know, you're just in purgatory you don't really try and then you start trying to celebrate that and you're saying there that's the hero of the story is that it's almost noble it's the noble thing to do is to fail right i think that's one of the kind of um existential questions of the world that um that we live in it's the you know 
what's it's what's the six being successful is generally is so often equated with evil doing you know you have to sell out you have to do things you don't believe in you have to suck it up you have to you know there has to be some kind of toxicity to it to succeed and that's can't be true and if it is true then there's got to be a way to get around it because you know you don't just want to fail and celebrate failure and then etc cetera, etc cetera. it's just not who's that helping so that's what this piece of writing I think it's it's sending me into that uh, into all of these trying to untangle all of these thoughts and that's very good So I'm looking at these words. There's no function of that hero. I'm trying to get to a point. I'm trying to figure out what the function of that hero is. And that's what this next book needs to be about. Not to say that it must have a... That if it has a happy ending, then, um, you know, there's a kind of a magic that... Um, that my book will get published you know um, or that everyone will start listening to the Eerwig Review and you know all this kind of thing so the, those, the two need to be separate those two things need to be separate but they also rely on each other they both need to fact check one another in order to live in, to, to be authentic and to be truthful and not be a weird kind of fantasy that's clearly, you know, not, it's just wishful thinking and, you know, power of positive thinking and all this kind of stuff, which is not interesting to me. So I'm, I'm interested in the, the, I think I've always been interested in in failure as a just a point of interest like how badly can a person fail as much as I feel a need to succeed as any any person would I also have an interest in failure and I think that's led me to some down some um some dark paths through the years and I've I've come a long way figuring that shit out I suppose I've begun to wonder about the virtue of the pathetic hero who does nothing to redeem themselves and was never very good at anything in the first place. There is no function of that hero. When one mouse is caught, the next arrives, looking identical. When they enter the iguanosphere, their stubbornness clouds their logic to such an extent that they die eating peanut butter. (laughs) So maybe... You know, the glue trap story. Talking about mice getting killed by mice traps, mouse traps. We have these heroes who are just carbon copies of one another. You kill one mouse, um, get rid of it. The next day, another mouse comes 
not discernibly different with its personality traits, the way it looks, the way it acts, all of the stuff, it's exactly the same. So it is a pathetic hero. It was never very good at anything in the first place, and it's not going anywhere. The greatest life of, of the rodent is to die bigger. There's no, uh, I don't know how to measure that over in Rat City. But us, you know, we find ourselves, when we're talking about success, career success, self-actualization, etc. These existential questions of where are we going? What is the point? You know. That is the, that's the uh, proverbial iguanosphere. When they enter the iguanosphere, their stubbornness clouds their logic to such an extent that they die eating peanut butter. They don't want to be wrong. They don't want to fail. Sometimes when, if we're stubborn, if we're so hell-bent on succeeding, we need to be right, and our logic starts to break down, and we stop being who we are, right? And then one day they die eating peanut butter, which, um, you know, was a trap. And, they, and maybe they knew it would kill them, and maybe they didn't. I know there's more to say about it, but that is all I need to talk about for my purposes in this moment. As well, I must say that I have a song stuck in my head, and the words are mixed up. It says... Okay, so I feel clear up to this point, which I really did when I read this uh, first. So that's good. I've gone somewhere. Now let's figure out this last bit. As well, I must say that I have a song stuck in my head and the words are mixed up. So I'm thinking back to this, you know, having these strange loops in your mind that I was talking about how it all goes and um, you know certain sometimes there's a certain musicality or aesthetic to these things and in another year some things will disappear and I'll see you in a while crocodile so it's just nonsense it's just one of those thoughts and sometimes that does happen where you get a song stuck in your head the wrong way and you're like, it's stuck, it won't stop playing. And what? there's no serviceable point to that happening. Why does our brain do that? What's the point of having a song stuck in your head? And it, happen, it happens to everyone, it must. So it's like we have these certain rhythms that get that repeat and there's... I don't even have the slightest clue as to why that happens. What, you know, evolutionary function that would possibly have to, you know, why that would be useful. But that's also the territory that I am operating in. So, you know, I don't just want to say I need some, I have to feel some sense of understanding it. So I feel like this gets actually pretty close to a lot of the 
a lot of my insecurities and, and uh, confusion around a lot of things in my life, really. <laughs> it's this, this kind of idea. Perhaps you might recognize it from the FM dial. So perhaps you understand it in, in the common world. The FM dial, this is where common music and comic common ideas and and symbols and songs are played to to mass audiences it becomes our culture by and large these songs that everyone knows on the fm radio a lot of them don't make any sense as we know they're and they're dumb and songs you turn on the radio and listen to first song that comes on it's probably really stupid but we love it and if you don't love it and you hate it, most people actually do like it. So you're, you know, you're wrong. Perhaps you won't. Perhaps you might recognize it from the FM dial. Perhaps you won't. Either way, it's fine. Not bad. The FM dial. Okay. There it was. The six posts of the week. Going up to... The FM dial, number 649. I was thinking of reading the next part of Son of Arnold, where I left off last week. But on the other hand, I almost don't feel like it. I almost feel like we got to where we need to get today. And that would be good. But. Let's read some anyway. Let's go a bit longer. I'm just going to read a, a little bit from where we left off last week. And then I'll talk about things to come, and then we'll wrap. So, refreshing our memories from last week, we had this family, Mary, Arnold, and Seymour. Seymour's the kid, Mary and Arnold the parents. Mary runs off in the night, leaving Arnold to take care of the young Seymour sending him to school him trying to understand where his mom went and Arnold not really knowing so he's went off to school Seymour's went to school and now Arnold has some time before work Arnold stopped by Trisha's on the way to work. She hadn't answered any of his calls the night before. He knew that she could have been working late, but he also knew that she could be ignoring him. He pounded on the door until she answered. He'd woken her up. She squinted at the light and looked pissed off. What do you want, Jesus Christ, said Trisha. Mary here, Arnold said. What? Is Mary here? No. Did she stop by at all? No. You talk to her? What's your problem? Trisha said. Arnold knew she didn't like him much. 
she here? What? Have you seen her or not? I don't know what you're talking about. When did you last see her? I don't know. At work? When? Yesterday. What's your problem? She mentioned anything about taking off? She sensed the panic in him when he said that. You want to come in? She say anything or not? No. Arnold tried to read her face. He couldn't tell if she was bullshitting. If you hear from her, you let us know, alright? She nodded. She thought of Seymour. Did she take Seymour? Arnold didn't answer that. You got our number. Just let us know if you hear from her. That's all I'm asking. He stood there for a moment. He felt his temper flare. He was going to hit something or break down, and he walked away before he did either. Wait, Trisha said. He did. She's got a shift today, right? Yeah, so she'll be there. He wanted to believe her. He could hear in her voice now that she wasn't bullshitting him. Is Seymour all right? Yeah, he is. Arnold went back to the car. Arnold carried flats from the truck and stacked them at the end of the loading dock. He did this for two hours or so before Tim came to him. Tim could see he was covered in sweat and pushing himself harder than usual. Arnold, said Tim. Yeah, what's going on? All good. I talked to Trisha. Yeah? Mary took off or what? I don't know. You good? Yeah, you? Yeah. All right, Tim said. Arnold called the house throughout the day. He hoped Mary would answer, but she wasn't there. During his lunch break, Seymour left the schoolyard and went to the convenience store. He looked at the comic books on the shelf and bought the one he liked best. He sat on the curb and read it. Later, he ate some peanuts and fruit bar that he had left over from before. It was enough to tide him over until he got home. Mary wasn't at home when Seymour got home from school. Arnold called him. School go okay? Uh-huh. Any word from your mom? Seymour shrugged. Seymour? No. She leave a message? I don't think so. The light on the machine flashing? No. You have a snack? No. Have a snack. Okay. I'm done my shift. I'll come pick you up and we'll go to your mom's work and she, she's there, okay? Okay. When Arnold got home, Seymour was waiting for him on the front step. He ran into the car. You eat? Arnold asked. Yeah. What'd you have? Crackers and jam. Crackers and jam, huh? Seymour nodded. Good. They drove to the hotel that Mary looked that Mary worked at. I gotta write that spelling mistake down. And what happened exactly there is what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode that I couldn't do when I did the Herman's Jail audiobook this week. Let's come across an error. Acknowledge it without having to cut it because leaving the thing rolling is a good thing. They drove to the hotel. They drove to the hotel that Mary. So I wrote Mary looked at. Mary worked at. Why it says looked instead of worked, I don't know. <sighs> Very stressful. Not really, but, you know. So, they drove to the hotel that Mary worked at. Seymour looked upward at the chandelier in the lobby. He looked at the receptionist and one of the housekeepers. They both wore the same uniform that Mary usually did. He imagined her being there. So I can see the word looked come came twice soon after that. 
So maybe I just got into a pattern of that and just crossed wires. Arnold argued with the receptionist. Seymour was distracted when he saw Trisha come around the corner. He watched her look away from him. She tried to make it out like she hadn't already seen that they were there. Arnold saw her and called out, she show up? Trisha looked embarrassed. The look on her face made it clear to them that Mary hadn't shown up for her shift after all. As the days passed, Arnold did his best for Seymour and they got used to their new life. Arnold stopped talking about her as much as he did. Whenever the phone rang, his chest would seize. Five weeks went by before Mary called. It was around 10 in the evening and Arnold was asleep on the couch. He woke and took the phone. He said, yeah, hello? Without her saying anything, he knew it was her. He waited for her to speak for some time, but she was jammed for words. Mary, he said. She choked up and said, hi, Arnold. She tried to clear her throat. He could hear how nervous she was. All of the anger he felt towards her dissipated when she spoke. I'm, uh, we're okay, Mary. We're at home. Seymour okay? She asked. He's upstairs. Do you want me to wake him? I can get him here. He heard the phone become muffled on her end. It sounded like she was rustling through something. It sounded like she was crying, and she said, no. Let him sleep. He'd like to talk to you, Mary. I'll go get him. Mary carried the phone towards the stairs. Please don't, Arnold. She cried, and there was more muffled rustling. She didn't speak for another while. Arnold held the line. He looked upstairs. If you could, when he's older, you'll be there for him, right, Arnold? Without a doubt, I will. She said something else, but she was too choked up, and Arnold couldn't understand what, and then she hung up the phone. When he heard that click and the sounds that followed, he said her name repeatedly, desperate that she was still there. When the receiver tone played, he felt the ground move beneath him, like he'd drank a gallon of frozen gasoline. Seymour stood at the top of the stairs. Arnold looked at him. Did she call? Seymour asked. Let's head back to bed, alright? Seymour stood there, oblivious to what happened. He was too tired to understand what was going on. Arnold went up the stairs towards him. Come on, he guided Seymour back to his bedroom. Get some rest, alright? He got him back into the bed and sat there until Seymour fell back asleep. In the morning, when Seymour came back downstairs, half the furniture was gone. The decorations had been taken down and most everything from the kitchen had been emptied out. Arnold was fixing a cup of coffee. We got an errand to run, Arnold said. Seymour rubbed the sleep from his eyes as he sat at the table. I ever take you to the dump before? Seymour shook his head. He looked at the imprint on the carpet where one of the cabinets used to be. What happened to all our stuff? I packed it in the car. What for? It was your mother's. Arnold pulled oil onto the pan. Anyone show you how to crack an egg before? Seymour shrugged. Bring them over. Seymour took the carton from the fridge and brought it to Arnold. Seymour could see how hard Arnold was trying to keep himself together. All right, take one. Seymour did. You can crack it on the table, or you can crack it on the side of the pan, whichever you want. Seymour took the egg and cracked it onto the side of the pan. Good job, Arnold said. They drove along the highway. Mary's cabinet and dresser were strapped to the roof. The car was packed full of her belongings. It was early, and for the most part, there weren't many people on the road. They drove into the landfill and parked near some ditch. Seymour watched the seagulls dive into the mounds of trash. Gloves? Arnold asked. Yep. Seymour held up an old pair of work gloves that Arnold had given him. He followed Arnold to the truck. The smell of the landfill was pungent and Seymour grimaced. 
Arnold smiled when he saw that. He said, Imagine being here in the afternoon when the sun's beating down. Seymour was surprised to see Arnold smile for a moment. They tossed garbage bags of Mary's clothes into the landfill. Arnold threw a vase that had always been on the table by the, on the TV. By the TV, He jousted a lamp off into the ditch. Seymour's jaw was agape. Arnold climbed to the roof of the car and unstrapped the dresser. Come on up, he said to Seymour. Seymour did so. Arnold grabbed his hand and helped him. Arnold gripped one side of the dresser. Grabbed the other end, he said. Seymour got a grip, too. You good? Yeah. On three, all right? Seymour nodded. Arnold saw that Seymour was scared. Ready? he asked. Seymour nodded again. All right. One. Two. Seymour interrupted. Hey, Dad? Yeah. What if she comes back? Then she does. Seymour looked off and nothing. Arnold gave him a minute before he counted them in again. On three, they tossed the dresser off of the car. Its backing snapped and the nails sprung outward from the wood. Seymour looked at the car through the restaurant window. Every trace of Mary was back at the landfill. Seymour stared at the glob of relish and mustard that had dripped from his burger and fallen onto his fries. Arnold could see how upset Seymour was. He said, good burgers here. Seymour looked out the window. His attention was now somewhere past the car on the road. He looked like his mother. All right, son, listen. Arnold put his burger down and wiped his mouth off with his napkin. I wish I had some kind of decent pep talk for you here, but I don't. All I can say is that we're going to have to tough it out here. You got strength in you, Seymour, that you don't even know about yet. So we got to keep busy. Not sure what other choice we have. Not much else we can do here. Seymour looked at him. He had a hard time keeping eye contact. He looked back at the window again. Arnold said, You know, I'll tell you one thing, Seymour. No matter what goes on, I sure as hell won't turn my back on you. I told as much to your mom and I'm telling you now. You can count on that, alright? Seymour nodded. That seemed to get through to him. We got a deal then? Arnold said. Yeah. Okay. Arnold took his burger and ate again. And dad? Yeah. Arnold had his mouth full. The sauce was back on his face. Me too, Seymour said. Good. They went back to their burgers and ate in silence for the most part. After they finished eating, they went back to the car. They listened to the radio on the drive home. Son of Arnold. Short story. Um, definitely some things I wanted to change as I was reading. Little kind of um, flashes of overwritten language um, you could probably hear it pretty clearly or not I don't know but definitely would love to go through it again and kind of tweak it out um, difficult to stop reading once you're going I think that experiment I was describing about doing Herman's Jail audiobook with kind of, you know, behind-the-scenes commentary as I go is you just kind of want to power through if it's not working or if you notice a mistake. But I want to try to break that habit. And when I come to a line that I don't love, going back, but similarly to the way the posts are done, I kind of need to read it once and then read it again and get into the detail to make it happen. So... 
I want to, I'll do some revisions of Seymour. Maybe I'll do them next week here on the show. Kind of break through some of these and tweak them for practice before I get into Herman's. Or maybe I'll, and maybe I'll start getting into Herman's next week. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I don't think I'll release the version that I recorded last week of Herman's. I think it was really good practice. It was I learned I figured out a lot of stuff. But for some reason, my gut's telling me it's not the one to release. Keep going with it. Keep tweaking. Um, so we'll see. Next week, I'll be working on Igor, the the new story, um, potentially called the Blue Nile. Working title. Um, that's kind of stuck with me. And uh, seeing how far I can get. Working on that for most of the week. Um, and I'll, I'll take a break from, from Herman's, I think. Let it kind of sit after that last round. Um, and I have a full outline of Igor now. It's, I think it's about only 6,000 words. But that was taken down from about, uh, I think, like, just under 30,000. I kind of burned down into about six. So I'm very, very happy with what they, um, what it all is. And um, now it's a matter of rewriting and expanding on those points, fleshing it out, and, uh, you know having fun with it but I'm very happy with the where I landed with the overall story the beginning the middle and the end of it all I like it and I think even after today's episode and thinking about um, you know what is the function of of that hero and seeing how maybe I can the ways in which that could come out in the story um, I look forward to um and that's that's it that's today's episode that's episode five um share the podcast with people share it with one person for me i want people to listen to it um i'm slowly kind of sharing it with people that might be interested and looking at figuring out some kind of um you know marketing effort some way of just you know getting it out there getting people to hear it and and having it grow it's obviously very new um but i want to figure out something that isn't stupid um that i can kind of grow this thing and and keep it going so do all the things and thank you for listening to this episode We'll see you next week.